Hey, welcome to the Celebration Church Podcast. We hope this helps you to know God better and to trust Him more. To keep up with us or to get more information, visit celebrationchurchlive.com. We are here in the middle of our short stories series, and we've been looking at some of the short stories Jesus told. We call them parables, but they were just short stories, and Jesus used stories because we connect with stories differently than we connect with just general information. And so, you know, I could tell you that a, you know, a bull is a big, powerful animal, and you would connect with that on some level. You would say, okay, yeah, that, that's a thing. But then I tell you about the neighbor's bull plowing through a fence and, and, and doing this destruction. All of a sudden, you connect with that in a different way. You connect with it in an emotional, visual kind of way. Stories connect us with truth and information in a real and different way. And Jesus, understanding how we're built, how we're wired, um, taught us and revealed the truths of the Father and the kingdom through stories. So if you got your Bible app, you got your bulletin, then um, I want you to, to follow along with this, that we've mentioned this every week, that we've been invited to be transformed by the truth of God's love for us. And one of the ways that the truth is revealed is through the stories that Jesus used in his teaching. In fact, whenever we look at John chapter 8, verse 30, it says that even as he spoke, many believed in him. And to the Jews who believed in him, Jesus said, if you hold to my teaching, remember we already covered, this isn't about just like being legalistic, but if you make it your own, you, you hold to his teaching, you, you embrace it, then you're really my disciples. Remember, we, we hold to his teaching. We become his disciples. We're really his disciples. And then you'll know the truth, and the truth will be set free. We'll be able to walk into a place of freedom, having known the truth. And what a beautiful thing that we can be disciples and still not be fully free. But we have the promise if we'll continue to be a disciple, we will eventually be walk in the fullness of the freedom that we have. And Jesus was constantly teaching and communicating and bringing about the truths to be able to set us free. The lies are what keep us bound. And Jesus would tell truths to be able to reveal the little lies that are holding on to us into different places and, and to reveal just the things that are wrong with the way we think. And he used stories. And, and of course, fathers here on Father's Day, fathers are, they're known for their stories. You know, dads tell about, you know, when they used to, you know, walk to school uphill both ways in the snow, you know. You know, dad, you know, every year as he shares the story of the championship, you know, uh, game that he was in, you know, the, the, the opponents get bigger, the pressure gets tighter, you know, the, the way that he makes the final shot, does the final move. 
move. It just gets slicker and slicker every time. And, and you know, of course, dads are also known for their dad jokes, you know. And I'm not going to, like, bore you with any today. But uh, there is, was a little story that kind of combines a little bit of dad joke and stories that I am going to share with you. And so uh, we got to run away um, for a few days this past week for uh, Cutie's birthday. And we went down. She was wanting to go to the beach. And so she initially said, hey, let's, let's, let's go down to Destin. Let's go to Destin, Florida. And so we, you know, decided not to go there. And we, we ended up at lovely Port Aransas. And it was, it was great. It was fantastic. And so it, it was nice. And so, but, um, you know, as in the news, you may have noticed that in Destin, there was something a little different. You know, normally you get in the water and you're kind of freaked out about sharks, you know. Um, that happened over at Orange Beach. We talked about going there too with all those hammerheads all around those people in Orange Beach. It's like, I'm glad we didn't go to Orange Beach. And then in Destin this week, there wasn't jellyfish. It wasn't sharks. There was a bear at the beach. It was swimming in the, in the water, a black bear. As if sharks and jellyfish aren't enough, now you got to worry about bears on vacation. And so they're just like going and chilling in the water. He need to cool off too. And there's this video, this black bear just out there swimming and climbing out of the beach and going on his merry way. And you're like, in Florida, The bear thing reminded me of the dad's story. And so, you know, you've, you've heard the story about the, the two hikers, you know, when they're out hiking and they come around a corner. And then they notice out in this field, there is this bear that's got their back to the hikers. And, and they're, they're, they're freaked out. They're like, oh, man, what, what, what are we going to do? They're, we don't want to get this bear's attention. And they're looking and trying to be quiet. And then all of a sudden, then one of the two starts and goes down to a knee and he starts tying his shoe a little tighter and then he goes and starts tying the other one his friend looks down at him and says do you not know anything about bears if, if you're, you're wasting your time if you try to run there's no way you're going to outrun that bear they're too fast and he's like dude I'm not going to outrun the bear I'm going to outrun you <laughs> And so and there's this space where, you know, I was thinking about that little story because of the bear. And then it was showed me that one of, the, one of the flaws of general American thought, because that story is really indicative of the average American's theology. The average American's theology is, is that for me to be able to be on the winning end of heaven, I just got to be better than the people around me. I just got to be better than average. In fact, there was a poll taken in 2021, a post-pandemic poll to just talk about people's spirituality and, and just what they believed in. 73% of Americans believed in some kind of heaven. 73%. Now, folks, there aren't 73% of people that go to church. I wish it was true. I wish it was true. Here's the truth. Any given Sunday in good old Bible Belt, San Angelo, Texas, there's only 10% of San Angeloans that darken the doorstep of a church. 10%. On any given month, 30%. While 73% of Americans in general believe in some sort of heaven, but people don't even take that any kind of seriously on a regular basis with any kind of engagement with church life or any of that kind of stuff. Here's what's also wild is 62% believe in a real hell. And still we see those connections and then you get into 
why? And one of the other questions is, is okay, if there's a heaven, do you think you're going to go there? As most Americans say, yes. And they're like, why are you going to go there? Well, because I'm a pretty good person. I'm better than most of the people around me. I don't have to outrun the devil. I don't have to outrun my sin. I just have to outrun the people around me. And I'm better than most. I feel like I'm going to make it. Our theology is built over and over again on a works mentality. I've just got to be pretty good and life's okay. Jesus came in and over and over again began to break down that idea. The Israelites had this works mentality. They had the law. They had these things that set them apart from every other nation on the planet. And then they began to find their righteousness not in the love of the God that showed them how to live better. Because those things did make their lives better. But in obeying those and being a little bit better than everybody else. In fact, I don't know if you noticed this last week, there was a crazy thing that took place. Just astonished me as a pastor that while we have 73% of Americans believe in some sort of heaven, there was a jeopardy question for $200 that all three of the people, nobody got it. And it was a fill in the blank question for a biblical scripture that was our father who art in heaven, blank be your name. None of the three of them knew hollowed. None of them. They all missed the question. So here we have this awareness of some sort of desire for heaven and this idea I just have to be a little bit better than everybody else and an absolute ignorance on even the basic things of the scriptures. And Jesus ministered in a place that they were hyper aware of the scriptures. And now we get to live in a place where people are not hyper aware of the scriptures. And he is constantly bringing about and teaching and revealing. Well, the parable we're going to look at is a parable that Jesus did not tell into hundreds or thousands of people. There's multiple parables that Jesus teaches on a hilltop. And he, and he teaches in public. And he's imparting this wisdom. This is one of the parables that Jesus told just to his disciples. Now, of course, when we look at Matthew 20 and the scriptures were not written in, in chapter order, we put chapters in there and verses so we could find stuff. So to fully understand Matthew chapter 20, verse 1, well, we need to kind of look at the end of Matthew 19. And here's what's happening at the end of Matthew 19. About mid through Matthew 19, there's a guy that if you've been around church, you know him as the rich young ruler, okay? He's a guy who's a go-getter. He's already made a name for himself, built up uh, some, some wealth. And he comes to Jesus as this new rabbi. And he says, hey, um, what do I need to do to enter eternal life? And, and he asks a legalistic question. What do I need to do? has nothing to do with God, has nothing to do with the Father. It's, what do I need to put my hand to to do? And Jesus answers him with a legalistic question, with a legalistic answer. He says, obey the commandments. He's like, ah, I've done that since I was a kid. Um, probably rounds up on himself pretty good on that one. He said, I've, I've handled that. And then Jesus invites him in. 
to be part of that intimate group of, of the 12. And he says this, he says, go sell all your possessions. You'll be a blessing to the poor and then come follow me. It was the exact same invitation he gave the 12, that the 12 dropped all of that they were doing. They were business owners. They weren't bums on the street. They, 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 they were out there being productive, and they walked away from it. And this guy turns around and walks away sad because he had a lot of wealth, when really what happened is a lot of wealth had him. And then... He was stuck, and so the disciples watch this encounter. There are flies on the wall to this, and as soon as the dude walks away, Peter pipes up, and he says, you know what, Jesus? We, we kind of did that. We did. We walked away from everything. We, so what's going to happen with us? Dude kind of has a kind of good question here. We want, we want to know what's going on, and Jesus tells him. says, you know what? No one who's walked away from father or mother or house or lands or properties or any kind of thing is going to suffer. In fact, you'll re- receive a, a hundred times, and, and then, of course, there's, there's riches laid up in eternal life, and Peter's like, awesome, and Jesus ends it with, you know, because the first will be last, and the last shall be first, that the kingdom of God works a little differently then the kingdom of heaven, and then goes into this parable immediately. So it's in this space. And what we have to understand that the first thing that we want to, the first thing we want to walk away with when we get into this parable is that, that we can trust God to do what's right. You're never going to fully give your lives into God's hands if you don't believe he's going to do what's right. Let's look at Matthew chapter 20, verse 1. It says, For the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire workers for his vineyard. And he agreed to pay them a denarius for the day, and he sent them into his vineyard. My first takeaway when I look at this, it's just the reminder that Jesus is telling the guys that have already walked away from everything that this is the way that kingdom works. Our Heavenly Father wants to invite us into His work. Wants to invite us into what He's doing. And to me, this is just an absolute miracle. It's an absolute miracle that we get invited in. The, The biggest thing that ever happened in the history of the universe was God sending His Son to die for humanity to make the impossible possible that we could not just be good or better but those of us who were dead in transgressions dead in our sin could be made alive again it was impossible and the greatest miracle that ever happened happened and then he's put the news of that into our hands invited us into it invited us He did that initial work fully himself, and then he's invited us into it. You know what? If it was Brandon Clark, I'd be like, you know what? Here you go. You need some salvation. You know what? I'm so glad you're right here. You know what? But this is important work. You stay over there. I saw the mess you made. You stay over there. Glad you're good. All right, I'm going to go. I'm going to work on and save some more people. That's the way I would do it. But no, he says, you know what? I saw the mess you made, um, but you know what? I need. I want to bring you into this. I want to invite you in. He's invited you and me into this. He's invited us to be a part of the most important thing in history. 
The redemptive work, the news of what of God's love and grace being poured out. This is the first truth of this parable of this vineyard owner. As he's inviting us in. And then we see that he agrees to give them a denarius. Now a denarius was the standard wage for a day's work. It was a standard wage for a day's work. It's title of this message called minimum wage. And it was just that. It wasn't for someone who had a special skill set or any of those things, but somebody who was just able-bodied, who's just going to be able to like go out and, and bell some hay, go out and dig some post holes, just go out and do some work. Because a denarius was what was required to just take care of the day's living. That was just the minimum to make life happen. And so he goes out and he says, hey, he doesn't try to, he doesn't try to offer them less. He doesn't offer them an exorbitant amount. He's like, you work today, your needs will be met today. And they say, yeah. They say, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm going. Now, we have to also understand that a Jewish work day was different than our work day. We think of an eight-hour work day. The Jewish work day was 12 hours. It was 6 a.m. to 6 p.m. They worked 12 hours every day, six days a week. And so this vineyard owner goes out first thing in the morning, recruit, hey, makes these hires, and goes out. Matthew chapter 20, verse 3, we see that at about 9 in the morning, he went out and saw others standing in the marketplace doing nothing. And he told them, you also go and work in my vineyard, and I will pay you whatever is right. And they, they agreed to it. They agreed to it. This is kind of open-ended. Any job I've ever taken, I've wanted to know what the pay was. That's part of the conversation. And the landowner leaves that pay out and says, just trust me. I'll do what's right. But they go and do it. In fact, we see group after group after group as we look at it. They go and do it. The only way this works is if this vineyard owner's got a pretty good reputation in that community. He's known as a good vineyard owner. He's known as a good employer. And there's a space where we see that then they, they say yes. And, but then he didn't stop there. He went out again at about noon. And then at three in the afternoon, and he did the same thing. He just keeps going out and says, you know what? Go work. I'll handle it. I'll do what. I'll do what's right. I'll do what's right. One of the things we have to understand is that you're never going to go wrong in saying yes to God. We may not know. He may not give you the details of how it's all going to unfold. But if he invites you into something, say yes. You may not know all the details, how it's all going to go. But I guarantee you can trust him to, for it to be good when it's all said and done. You can trust him for that. And these other workers, these other laborers trusted that he was good and did good. But then as we get a little deeper into the parable, we find this truth that it's never too late in the day to respond to God. It's never too late. So many times we can feel like, man, that I felt God pulling on my heart when I was a young person. I felt God pulling on my heart, you know, a few years ago. But, man, I didn't respond. I had this excuse and that excuse and these different things. And we're going to see here that it's never too late. If, the, if God is inviting you, 
Say yes. He's not made a mistake. He knows what time of day it is. He knows where it's at. If he's inviting you, then he's not giving up on you. Don't you give up on you. If he's inviting you in, you say yes. Because then in verse 6, it says about 5 in the afternoon, he went out and found still others standing around. There's one hour left in the day. And he asked them, why have you been standing here all day long doing nothing? That's a pretty fair question. Pretty fair question. He says, because no one has hired us. And he said to them, you also go and work in my vineyard. You know, I've shared, you know, I'm not real athletic and so they had the whole, you know, elementary, you know, picking teams. And, you know, if I wasn't picked last, I was picked next to last. It was just the way it went. And there's a certain pain with being picked last. But these guys had a different pain. They weren't picked at all. They weren't picked at all. Because here's the truth is that, you know, the day's wage was one denarius. And you weren't going to get quality work for less than a denarius. So how does a landowner kind of max out? How does he kind of get the fullness of his denarius? When he goes out at 6 o'clock in the morning, well, he's going to get someone he feels like can give him a full denarius worth of work. He's looking at the lineup and the six foot four, 250-pound strong guy. He's like, yeah, you're hired. You, you can throw some hay. I'm going to get some denarius worth of work out of this guy. Then there's the guy who has the experience. He may not work harder. He works smarter, and he's going to make the whole process better, and he's got a lot of experience and a lot of wisdom and a good reputation, and that guy, he gets hired at first, and everybody is making their choices there in the marketplace, and then there's just these guys that nobody picked at all. But here's the truth. They still have the same needs. They're out there in the marketplace. No one has hired. They still have the same needs. The needs of the day didn't all of a sudden go away. They still have got to buy bread. They still have to take care of things. They still have taxes. They're under Roman rule. They, the Roman uh, tax uh, collector isn't going to go, oh, you, you didn't work yesterday? Oh, okay, I'm sorry. You owe nothing. And I was like, you better go find it. And then these guys late in the day, they've got a whole different pressure than everybody else. They left the house. They went into the marketplace. Their family, their spouses were anticipating them showing up with something at the end of the day. And it is the five o'clock hour. They're still in the marketplace. Not because they're hoping to get hired. No, who hires in the, in the last hour of the day? They're trying to figure out what they're going to say. They're going to try to figure out because the wife goes, well, you weren't home and you obviously didn't go to work. Where have you been? What's been going on? How come you didn't get picked? Babe, just nobody hired me. Nobody picked. I told you not to wear that shirt. You look like a bum. You need to stand up. little brother. You're always all hunchback. You need to do some sit-ups. Your gut makes you look like you can't do nothing. You need to do, you're doing some workouts now. I'm going to dress you before you go to work tomorrow. And they're just sitting there getting ready for the shame 
figuring out what they're going to tell their kids. They have the same needs that everybody else that went to the marketplace had, and they've got nothing coming in. And all of a sudden, this incredibly gracious landowner says, come in, and you can work too. You come in. It's not too late. You can come in. Second Corinthians chapter 6, verse 2. For he says, in the time of my favor, I heard you. And in the day of salvation, I helped you. I tell you, now is the time of God's favor. Now is the day of salvation. They couldn't do anything about the hours that clicked away. When it went from the 6 o'clock hour to the 9 o'clock hour and they weren't hired, there was, there was nothing. They could not recoup those. You can't fix any of the stuff you've let slip by. All you can do is respond with today. Today is the day of salvation. The Holy Spirit is, is speaking to you. The Holy Spirit is leading you. The Holy Spirit is inviting you. And it's not too late. Today is the day of salvation. God wants to take each of us forward. We talk about which way forward from here at Celebration Church. And guess what? There's not a place where all of a sudden there's not a way forward. God always has a way forward if we'll lead, listen to the leading of his Holy Spirit. But the next thing we see in this parable is it's not just that he's gracious. But we see that God is graciously generous. Let's look at verse 8. It says, And when evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, Call the workers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last ones hired and going on to the first. Remember at the end of chapter 19, he said the last will be first and the first will be last. It's in the beginning. It says, Hire and call forward the last ones. And then the workers who were hired about five in the afternoon came. And each received a denarius. They each received a full day's wage. They each received exactly when their eyes popped open that morning. They were going to go out into the marketplace, try to get hired. Their hopes for the day was a denarius. Their needs for the day was a denarius. And what this gracious, generous landowner gave them was a denarius. There had been lots of gaps. There had been lots of things. And they didn't deserve a denarius, but they received a denarius. And so when those... <clears throat> and so, verse 10, when those came who were hired first, they expected to receive more. They're like, oh, there must have been a bonus plan while we were out working, while it was so hot. The landowner, he changed the pay scale. And all of a sudden now, it's a denarius for one hour's worth of work. Man, we've been out here 12. Man, we're about to bank. It's about to be good. And they expected to receive more. But each one of them also received a denarius. And when they received it, they began to grumble against the landowner. Those who were hired last worked only one hour, they said. And you've made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the work and the heat of the day. You've made them equal. 
At the beginning of the day, this guy was their hero. He hired them. They went out to get a job. He hired them and gave them a job. Agreed to give them a denarius. That's exactly what they were going to need. Exactly what they were going to need to get for that day. Their needs were done and all was good. But because all of a sudden he's generous now, they're angry. Now they're frustrated. It was not anymore a relationship between a boss and an employee. All of a sudden they shift into the role of judge and said, you've made them equal. And that, that isn't fair. Verse 14. Take your pay and go. Wait a minute. Verse 13. But he answered one of them. I'm not being unfair to you, friend. Didn't you agree to work for a denarius? Didn't you agree to this? This is exactly what you agreed to. Take your pay and go. I want to give the one who was hired last the same as I gave you. Don't I have the right to do what I want with my own money? Or are you envious because I am generous? And so the last will be first. And the first will be last. Here's a thing that the first group didn't calculate in. That they... They missed. They didn't factor. There was a blessing that they had that the last group did not have. The first group, they had the blessing of the day going exactly the way they wanted it to go. They woke up. They went out to the marketplace. They got hired immediately. They got the wage that they were going, uh, that they wanted to get. They go out. They worked all day. They get paid at the end of the day and got paid exactly what they were told they were going to get paid. Their day went exactly the way their day, they, they wanted their day to go. And there was never room for anxiety to come in and to grip their hearts. There was never any place of worry. They had peace all day long. Why on earth did they go through the heat of the day? Why were they out there doing their work, digging their post holes or whatever, and sweat is pouring off their brow? Because they knew this landowner's good. He said he was going to give me a denarius when this was all done. I'm going to be able to go home, pay my bills, feed my family, take care of my kids. I'm at peace. And all of a sudden, that peace meant nothing to them. It meant nothing. They did not see the fact that them getting hired early, being sure of the way that their future was going to unfold for that day. They didn't see any value in that whatsoever. And folks, I want to say that in my own life, and I'm going to dare stretch to the lives of a lot of us in here, that the place where we find ourselves grumbling the most is when we forget to factor in these blessings that are just there all day long, every day. They're just there and we take them for granted. Things are rolling like the way we want them to roll. Things are unfolding. Our, we go to work, our paycheck, it doesn't bounce. Things are able to go good. We're not freaked out. Everything's at work. And then all of a sudden, there's a little bit of unfairness and we just melt. We just actually totally have a meltdown. 
Everything's not good anymore. And we don't take into account the peace that we get to enjoy all day, every day. The hope we have in Christ. The hope we have in Him that gets us through the heat of the day, the difficult things. Why? Because we know where we're going. We know the, who has promised is faithful. And we'll find ourselves unnecessarily grumbling against a good and loving and generous God because all of a sudden we decide things aren't quite fair because we didn't factor in all of the little blessings we enjoy all day every day. What an amazing blessing for them to get up, get hired immediately and have no freak out, no anxiety, no worries. And that factor didn't matter to them whatsoever. This landowner, he was good. He was living out the biblical truth we find in Leviticus chapter 19, verse 13. It says, do not defraud or rob your neighbor. Do not hold back the wages of a hired worker overnight. And then the next thing we also see in this space as we're winding up is that even when attacked, even when grumbled against, this landowner, this vineyard owner, he still saw that first group as friends. He said, friend, didn't I give you exactly what we agreed to? Friend, didn't I do that? He's still good. Even when we're not good, he's still good. This is reminiscent of Matthew 26, verse 50, when Judas betrayed Jesus. And Jesus replied, friend, do what you came for. And then the men stepped forward and seized Jesus and arrested him. Even in a place of betrayal, he still sees us as friend. When we see that, that's what one of the factors where we know we can trust him. That when we don't understand how it's all going to unfold, when he just invites us in and says, trust me that the end result will be something you're good with, then we can say yes to him. In fact, this morning we sang this exact line, my failures and flaws, Lord, you've seen them all, and you still call me friend. He's good. He's good. We can say yes every time he invites us in, every time he pursues. And parable after parable, story after story, Pastor Kena did a great job with the prodigal son last week. And we see that the father went after that son. He saw him on the road. He ran to him. But then there was the grumbling older son, and he went to him too. The scripture says he went to him. Over and over again, we see that the good shepherd went after the one. Here we see the vineyard owner goes out. He is pursuing, he is pursuing, he is pursuing. Our place is to say yes. And we can boldly say yes. Because even when we've been wrong, when we've grumbled, when we've taken his blessings for granted, he still calls us friend and we can trust him to do good. Isaiah chapter 55 verse 6 says, Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call on him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake their ways and the unrighteous their thoughts. Let them turn to the Lord and he will have mercy on them and to our God. For he will freely pardon. For my thoughts are not your thoughts. Neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth. So are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. Folks, this morning our bottom line is grace is not about fairness. It's about love. 
It's 100% about love. And Jesus told this parable, not to everybody on the hilltop. He told it to his 12, the ones who had already walked away from everything, the ones who'd already said yes, to put it down deep in their hearts that the message of the gospel isn't to come in and try to earn the blessings of God. But as soon as you say yes, you'll get everything you need for life and godliness. As soon as you respond, as soon as you say yes. Thank you for listening to this message from Celebration Church. You can keep up with all that God is doing here at Celebration by following us on Facebook and Instagram.